chapter 11. So you can open your Bibles there or open your Bible app to Mark 11. Good morning. Now, there are PowerPoints, but it's actually because Jesus was so physical and visual. And in this, we're going through a whole chapter of Mark 11. How could we do anything but it put the pictures in that Jesus and his disciples were seeing? And so in try, instead of trying to have oral language match the visuals, I'm trying to give you a snapshot of those visuals. We're going to read all of Mark 11. And I want you to ask yourself, Whose authority is Jesus exercising as he enters Jerusalem? And whose authority is he exercising when he speaks to the fig tree? And whose authority is he evidencing in the temple when he drives out the money changers? <laughs> and whose authority is Jesus working with when he says, Your faith, it can move mountains. And your forgiveness is the key to our relationship. Whose authority is he working with as he conf is confronted by the religious leaders and he skirts the issues? So let's read Mark 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a coat tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, join me, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for 
all nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to him, Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to them. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I'll ask you one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he'll say, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin... They feared the people. For everyone held that John really was a prophet. Uh, So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. I love the story of Jesus coming in on a cult. Now, I want to make sure you realize the faith the disciples had. This is not a bike share. This is not a car share. They're being sent in. It's like if I say, oh, hey, by the way, do you think you could run down to Savon and there's going to be a brand new motorcycle there and I just need you to bring it over, okay? Would you have some questions for me? Yeah, that's what's happening here, not car share, not bike share. So there they are, and they've got the cult. And you know, they're ready for a party. You know how they're ready for a party? Because this is pre-washing machine days, and people are putting their coats on the ground. And what do animals do as they walk? Right, they drop. And, you know, I never thought about that. That's an advantage to teaching with origin kids because that came to me, teaching origin kids. There was a nice little coloring sheet of Jesus' triumphal entry, and the child had to make it real, and they added the droppings in. So you know these people, pre-washing machine days, were ready for Jesus to come in all his authority and to get rid of Rome. And they are ready to see all this power they've been seeing one-on-one evidenced. And so here is what happens on this first day. He comes and he fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah. And Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. 
see your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He comes in, and they celebrate. And they believe he is going to claim his kingship. And the next week is going to be a week of utter disappointment. They're throwing a party, but they're throwing a party for Jesus so that Jesus can do what they've been waiting and wanting him to do for them. And as we've seen, Jesus is not very likely to want to be controlled. Now, Hosanna. Just wave this as I read Psalm 118 to you. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. That's Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us with bows in hand. Join in the festal procession to the horns of altar. They are singing Hosanna. They are singing verses from here. They know this is a kingly psalm. I hope on your own time you'll read all of Psalm 118. There's so much backstory to this chapter, and it will all bless you. I want you to notice I highlighted verse or emboldened verse 22. Later in chapter 12, Jesus is claiming this is who he is. He is the stone the builders rejected. All of this is all over this week. This psalm was in their hearts. They knew it as they ascended to Jerusalem. They went up because it was uphill, and there were psalms of ascent. This isn't one of them. But Jesus knew that he was descending into the hardest week of his life. He is fulfilling all of the prophecies, and he knows his very closest friends do not understand him, never mind the crowds that have joined to celebrate. So he goes, he looks in the temple, it tells us, in um, verse 11, and then he goes to Bethany. We're not sure, but there's a lot of thought that his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Lazarus who he had brought back to life, they lived in Bethany. He had friends to hang out with there for this Passover week. And he just looks around the temple. And I want you to imagine that today, this week of Easter, this holy week, Jesus, now imagine it is true, but I need you to really imagine it, is with you. And he is gathered with us. And he's looking around at us. And all the things that we don't know about each other, he does know. And he is just looking around. Goes home to Bethany, and the next morning, he heads back to Jerusalem. Huh, there's an unfruitful fig tree. Now, Mark, Mark's cheeky. You know, some of the other disciples, uh, gospel writers don't put in. It wasn't even the season for figs, people. But Mark lets us know that. Now, here's the thing. Craig's the gardener, 
in our family, not me, but I've learned a little bit about fig trees this week. Fig trees only put out the leaf after the fruit starts to grow. So it is not an unreasonable expectation. There's signs of life in this tree. The leaves are here, so shouldn't there be some fruit? I hope on your own time, you will go and read Jeremiah 7 to 8. Because that is the backdrop to what is happening here. It is that in Jeremiah's time, Jeremiah would have been preaching 580, 90 years before this event. And Jeremiah, he called out the religious leaders who were saying, peace, peace, everybody be at peace, where there was no peace. And the priests were failing to teach the people, and the people were living unjustly. And within a matter of years of Jeremiah's preaching, the temple was destroyed and later was rebuilt. So we may not know our Jeremiah, but Jesus and his listeners who were orally listening to the Old Testament scripture all the time, they knew that when Jesus said, what he said about the fig tree, this is the backdrop. I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree, and their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. Jesus is taking the prophet Jeremiah's call to justice. Jeremiah was one of these prophets that was calling out because people were being oppressed while the religious leaders were saying, everything's okay. So go and read Jeremiah 7 and 8. But know that when Jesus called out this tree, he was calling out religious leaders and religious practice that was not producing fruit in keeping with the kingdom. It looked like there was life, but there was no fruit. And so this is the first picture Jesus gives. Besides, well, there's the first picture, I guess, was actually him on the colt. And then this withered tree. And then things get even um, messier. Because then he gets to the temple. Now, this gets confusing because you're like, you just said the temple was destroyed. Okay? Children of Israel... God has always wanted to be with people. When they left Egypt, God had Moses lead them to build a tabernacle. It was a moving tent where there would be evidence of the presence of God. Later, David, King David, saved up all the stuff. King David being important because here in the beginning, Jesus is living into his David authority. King David, King Solomon, that is the golden age. That's when things were right. And he saved up and his son Solomon built a beautiful temple. And that was destroyed when Jeremiah was preaching. Okay? Herod, not this Herod, historic, uh, 500 years before Herod, um, decided that, all right, y'all, this isn't looking so good. And we're going to rebuild another one. And he built a fancy temple. But guess what? His temple followed the profile of the Jewish temple. Hmm. But it was also because he was wanting the Jewish people to like him. And it was a very beautiful building. And this is the one where Jesus enters. 
and you know the story. You've heard of, and it looks like he had a fit, but let's pause and think. Jesus acted justly and strongly, but this is no in-the-moment fit. He was there just yesterday. (laughs) So Jesus knows how to be meek and lowly, but he also knows how to have the authority to stand up to what is not just. And this is what he is doing. He is referencing, more, more reading for you, Isaiah 56. Sam read it for us this morning. Maintain justice. He wanted the nations to come into his presence. God said, and pray and have a house of prayer for everyone. And that's not what's happening. So when you come to this, Jesus' confrontation, he had been meditating on Isaiah 56 the night before and Jeremiah 7. It's a den of robbers. That's to those false spiritual leaders who are saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Jesus is not cleaning house. Jesus has just said this house does not have spiritual life. And brothers and sisters, I don't want him to ever say that about us. But as we see, I don't know if you're seeing the headlines, there are Christians, Christian leaders, Christian churches that have blessed us all. But the fruit is not the fruit that honors Jesus. And he has no patience for a dinner of robbers. He is a forgiving God. But he wants all nations joyfully having a place where they can come and meet with the Lord. And when our actions are more about our culture and our rights than they are about the kingdom of God and about God's authority, not our authority, then we become something that is not the kingdom of God, that is not a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus called it out in person, and the spirit of Jesus can still cause things to wither at the roots if there is not life in them. Okay. And then we get to the good stuff because don't we all want faith that moves mountains? And then we're like, whoo, there's some hope, right? And so you think, okay, I'm going to know the Lord and I want to know his ways. But sometimes our faith that moves mountains is faith that moves mountains for my goals. And Jesus has been all over Mark telling these people, that sometimes their goals, their aspirations, are not God's. Now, I'm not ever saying, God can, is calling many of you to do beautiful and great things. <laughs> but he wants us to do it as he would have it. And it's in the listening. And so if you ever, have you ever felt like, well, Lord, I'm praying, and not just is the mountain not moving, not just is the stone not moving, nothing's happening. And sometimes it's a wait. Sometimes it's a no. I also believe the no's, that's where our hearts are still wanting our ways. And it's learning to listen 
for the Lord's ways and his guidance. Now, here is the peace. The heart of the sacrificial system was to reconcile humanity with God. And that is the little scene, most important verse in this whole passage. This is the verse where we're going to camp for a few minutes. Verse 25. Okay, I don't know why, but in my reading of this passage, I've read the Bible a bunch of times. I've had lots of Bible teaching. Nobody ever told me. I never noticed (laughs) that there's a connection between mountain-moving faith and forgiveness. Did you catch it? Verse 25. I want you to read it um, if you have your Bibles open out loud with me. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. The whole day, the whole week, hinges on the forgiveness piece. And my experience is that we love to be forgiven. And we don't like to forgive. Okay, we know we're in trouble when we read this verse. And the first thought that came to my mind, and when you stand praying, oh, well, Lord, I'm not stand praying, so I must not have to apply this. Okay, when you think that way, you know you're in trouble because you're looking for a fast out. And who... So now, I want to (laughs) talk to Christians in prayer. We love to pray. We love to listen. We love God's forgiveness and peace. Why is it hard to forgive? I believe it is hard because underlying that, there is always hurt. Now, at some point, our forgiveness, something happens. And we got hurt. All right, if you're male, instead of hurt, it may be that you were disrespected because males don't acknowledge their hurt so well. Okay? So something happened, and you were hurt or disrespected. Okay? Then, I'm sorry, I don't like gender-specific language, and maybe I should have been more careful, but I do think that happens in our society. Okay. So there's some hurt or anger. You deal with that in the incident. You go to the person, whew, everybody's heart clears. But you know what? In our society, we, oh, it wasn't a big deal. Ah, oh, just ignore it. But the next level is fear. person does something else. I haven't dealt with that hurt or disrespect. And now I fear I'm going to always be treated. This is just who they are. Now, the fear piece, I think we're less aware of. But the anger piece, that's the safe place for hurt and disrespect. I am right. This person is wrong. And if we stay in our anger and we don't come back and face our fear, acknowledge our hurt or disrespect, and deal with the incident, and we keep feeling it, we become bitter. Now, um, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, I want to get the right verse, Hebrews chapter 12, says that you can miss the grace of God because of a bitter root in your heart. It tells us that not only does that bitter root come and mess with us, but it also comes, and you know what it does? 
It's Hebrews 12, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. My lack of dealing with a hurt, disrespect, trigger problem now can defile many. And I see this in the Christian world all the time. What Have you ever analyzed the word resentment? Because that being a synonym for bitter heart. Re means again. Sent means feel. You keep refilling, feeling the hurt. Refeeling the pain, the disrespect. And when you refeel it, it may look like you replay the conversation in your mind. You re-justify to yourself or maybe even to other friends. Not the friends you have the problem with, but to other people you justify. And you replay you refill that conversation and you say how and explain, you know, obviously I was right in this moment. Okay? I don't know where the points of unforgiveness are. But what I know is that if you stop, not just if you said, oh, I don't stand to pray. That's just a different culture's expression. But also when you say, oh, I don't need to forgive anybody. I'm such a peaceful person. Then you probably don't know your own heart well or your own thinking well. Because what it means is you avoid conflict, not you deal with conflict. And when Jesus is calling us to forgive, it is active. It also is not dependent on how you feel. So you don't feel like forgiving somebody? Then treat them as your enemy. And what did Jesus say to do to our enemies? You need to love that enemy. You need to find a way to bless them. You need to do something good for that enemy. And you need to pray for them. So this forgiveness, wait, this is the center of the text. We have a beautiful scene of Jesus' authority. And we have powerful acts over fig trees and present leadership authority in the temple. (laughs) And we like all the stories and the pictures. But do we like Jesus having authority over our hearts? Um. In justice work, they'll say, well, you've got to do the work if you want to do justice. Can I just say, as a forgiver, you've got to do the work. And what may happen is that you realize, in my pursuit of justice, I didn't treat somebody else well. And so the wor- it is work. May I invite you to act before you feel like acting. Otherwise, your feelings have become the God. And Jesus is not here saying, and when you stand praying, if you hold something against anyone, when you feel like it, forgive them. Guess what? He just says, do it. Jesus in other places says, forgive 70 times 7. I and my bag up there have a book. It's about forgiveness. And if you're like, I don't know who, but the Lord said, yeah, take that. It's an old book. But it'll walk you through what to do. It's a 70 times 7 process. It's not a once and done. It's every time I refeel, I resent it again, I refeel it, I've got to go back and do this work. 
I also want to make sure you know the Bible doesn't say forgive and forget. The act of forgiving is not the act of self-harm. You can have boundaries while you forgive. But please don't avoid, because you know what happens? It defiles many when we don't forgive, but it also immatures you. Instead of growing and flourishing, when we can't forgive someone, guess what? Our hearts stay as a child's. There is no relationship worth having that does not have conflict. And so when you don't learn how to have conflict and how to practice forgiveness, the quality, and you say, well, this person just doesn't matter that much to me. Or, I don't have to see them often. It's just not worth the energy. Or, oh, (laughs) you know, it's just somebody at work and like I can go to the bathroom a different pathway. True story. I've done that. Oh, well, I could just change churches. Oh, well, I could just break up. Oh, well, I could just quit texting. Oh, I don't have to be on that team anymore. And when you change your actions to avoid, a bitter root is growing in your heart. And it will take on a life you never wanted it to have. And you cannot yield to the authority of Jesus on certain lists of whatever it is that you think makes us pure and holy and not yield to the authority of Jesus on learning how to forgive others. Forgiveness means they did something wrong. When you do not forgive, you've just given the person who wronged you all the power instead of Jesus. And you're going to need help with this. You're going to need help with how to learn how to forgive. But that's why Jesus came. And he didn't come to play. You notice with the um, authorities on the next day, he came. And they wanted to know, who are you doing this? And y'all, he just didn't even have time for it. He wouldn't answer because they didn't care. And do you know what? When you come to Jesus... You say, I need help forgiving. He's going to give it. But when you look at someone else and you think, who are you to talk to me that way? Who are you to treat me this way? And you want to sit in your hurt. They have authority over your heart instead of Jesus. So what? This is a beautiful passage. All right? Jesus comes in authority, and Jesus answers in authority to the church religious leaders. 
Jesus is looking for fruitfulness on that fig tree. But really, he's looking for fruitfulness amongst his people. And he's been walking and talking with them for around 33 years there. And he's realized they aren't fruitful. And so what does Jesus do? He takes, it's actually Pliny uh, was a Roman man who said, like expert, we have a whole lot of his writings. But Pliny said, when a fig tree is going to die, it just doesn't matter. you got to take it from the root out. And so Jesus uses that fig tree to say, I am rooting out what is dead. And they are dead because they did not learn to maintain justice from Isaiah 56's teaching. And they said peace, peace, where there was no peace from those Jeremiah teachings. They had had hundreds of years of good teaching, and they did not know how to forgive, and they did not know how to act justly. And we come to where the heart of the Lord is, and his heart is for our faithfulness and our forgiveness. He has been so faithful to us, and he has forgiven us so much. But we're so forgiving avoidant, that I didn't even know, after years of knowing this story in these days, that it was central to Jesus' coming in. We are so forgiveness fearful, or we do petty forgiveness, oh, it's okay, it's okay, and we put pretty words, but our hearts are bitter. Don't miss out on the grace of God. And please don't defile many. Because the very heart of God. We pray it every week when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have our debtors. Do we pray it every week? Do you think about it? Who's indebted to me? Who am I indebted to? Who's wronged me this week? And that when we pray that, that there's business to be done because the heart of God is faithful and forgiving. And this is what this week is all about. He came to be present. And the temple was supposed to be the presence of God on earth. It's a place where the people could meet. And then Jesus came in flesh as the temple. And guess what? He has made us Together, you can't do the templing of God alone. But he has made us, Ephesians 2 tells us, as Christ's household. Do you see that big arrow? Oh, y'all don't have that picture. Oh, well. There is, in the center of the temple, there is the altar. Where animals were sacrificed. You know these stories. You can go back and read Leviticus 16. Okay? All the sins of the nation on one goat, one lamb gets sent out to the desert. All right? There we go. Whitney, you're amazing. Okay. Right there in the center of the physical temple. When we're with Jesus, the one who is the sacrificial lamb is there. And he came to be the sacrifice. So we could be forgiven. When we have trouble forgiving each other, guess what? It means we really haven't understood the depth of Jesus' love and forgiveness to us. Because, I don't know why, either (laughs) 
we have a high opinion of ourselves and we don't think there was really that much to forgive us for. Or we don't really believe he's forgiven us. Because once you grab hold of the depth of the love of God for you and how much he has forgiven you and he will forgive your future, you will have the strength and courage to forgive others. And right in our midst is the presence of Jesus. And so forgiving may feel like you are the lamb being led to slaughter and that you are sacrificing your own wellness to forgive this other person. I'm not asking you to sacrifice your wellness. But to be well, you may have to sacrifice some rights. You will have to sacrifice resentments. Jesus paid it all. Jesus, this week, we're going to be marching to the cross with him. But here it is, friends. Let's receive his forgiveness, and then let's give his forgiveness. Because that is the heart of our Heavenly Father. Hosanna. It means save us. They wanted saving from the injustice of the Romans. But they, like the rest of us, really needed saving from themselves. Jesus came and he demonstrated political authority. He <laughs> demonstrated creator authority. He demonstrated teacher authority. He demonstrated religious authority. And he would claim authority over your wrongs and over your unforgiveness. And so we're going to take this and we're going to sing just the chorus, Hosanna. And I want you to say, Lord, save me as you sing it, because that's what Hosanna means. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, save us.